Well, it's been a while in the making. Here we go. Labrador Leadership Podcast, Episode Zero. Live from the RVA, this is the Labrador Leadership Podcast with Dr. Bob Nolly. The program that brings you the leadership skills that can make you the most authentic, approachable leader for the sake of your business, your team, and for you. Now, here's Bob. Oh my God, it's happening. It's finally happening. It's day one. I can't believe it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Labrador Leadership Podcast. How are you? Wherever you are in the world, welcome. Welcome, and I thank you so much. Thank you so very much from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to find this show and give us a listen. Hey, I have somebody here I want to introduce you to today. This is Alex Mossa. Alex, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Bob? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, I, I want to thank you so much for being my co-host. I think we're going to have a great time here. We're going to learn a lot. We're going to teach people a lot. And so we ought to just get started. It's it's the first show. What, what Who's the interview today? Well, Bob, um, you're kind of the man of the hour tonight. We've got to introduce you. Oh, oh, oh. All right. I, I'm ready. I'm ready. Let me wait. Let me brush my hair. There we go. As they say, I have a face made for radio. Go for it. <laughs> All right, Bob. Well, I think that what we first need to uh, let the listeners, you know, in on is how did leadership become so important to you? I think throughout my whole career, even you know, a childhood career, I'd been exposed to it. Uh, I I was always around people, my parents and their friends. My dad was in the corporate world, and he was in a position of some responsibility at this corporation, and they were always socializing with other people in corporations that had responsibility. So I always got the chance, and they were fun people to be around. I mean, I grew up, you know, in the in the June and Ward Cleaver era, and, you know, if, you know, Mad Men came on, and I look at that, and I go, yeah, I, I lived through that. Not Not quite on Madison Avenue, but... That was that was kind of the era. So I was around people that had positions of responsibility and leadership, and I got a chance to observe them. Uh, I did things like, you know, I was in the Boy Scouts, and I I, I earned Eagle Scout, so I kind of got the feel for it there. And then when I finally uh, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to go to college, and uh, when I went to college, I needed to find a job to earn some money, and uh, I saw where I went to school. They had a bus system there. And it wasn't a school bus system. It was like a transit bus system that any city would have because it was a big university. So I, I kind of stood there and watched that as I was riding the buses. You know, it's like the second semester I was there. And and I thought, those kids were so cool and they were having such a great time. So I went and applied for a job there. And they said, they checked the driving record and they gave me a job there. And, and I just loved it. And I drove all the time. I actually drove all the time. Somebody could not show up for their short shift. I, I'll drive that. And then I did so much of that, uh, they made me a supervisor of the bus system. And, and you know, everybody that knows me now knows the joke that I, I did more work with the bus drivers and I did less work going to class in the classroom, which I'd have to correct later. So I was managing people, you know, in my second year in college, I had like 60 part-time drivers working for me and mechanics and all that kind of thing. So I learned a lot about what it meant to be a leader there. Uh, when I got out of college, you know, of course, how did you ever find a job if you, that's all you did in college? 
I, you know, I got an opportunity that I learned, was able to learn a business and work for some great people. And it was just important to me to be, to have a great relationship with the people I was working for and working with. And when the whole leadership bubble started to grow and we talked about what it took to be a great leader, you know, I, I could empathize with that a lot. That's so that's going around my elbow to get to my thumb, you know, the story of how I got there, but, uh, that's it. And it's still important today. So it's definitely something that you fell into. And do you think that everyone can learn, um, that skill set to be a leader? I think it's important when you say leader, you know, most people, a lot of people, uh, originally think, oh, we talk about within the business context or within the military context, but you know, we talk about leaders there, but we also talk about leading our lives and you only have, you know, we have our work lives and our, and our home lives. Here's a reminder for everyone. You only have one life <laughs> and, and you lead those, you lead those lives in virtually the same way. So those skills are somewhat transferable. So people can learn those skills and they should. Now, for example, right now, there is a huge, a huge burgeoning uh, movement of entrepreneurship without, throughout the world. I was going to say throughout North America, but it, it's throughout the world. And, and these entrepreneurs are people that want to build their own business, run their own business, be successful. And they can do that, and they are doing that. There's so many stories of that that you can hear about in podcasts just like this one. But at some point, they're going to have to add on the leadership skills to be to differentiate themselves because of the quality of the relationship they have with their with their customers, with their tribe. And gee, if you treat the people that you work with in your job or your entrepreneurship that well, shouldn't you be treating the people that are important to you throughout the rest of your life that way, your partner, your spouse, your children, your parents, people in your church or other social groups that you meet, it, it's that important. Right. So it really comes down to management, you know, on all levels of your life, I suppose. Yeah. I think when you use the M word management, it, they get, that word gets used interchangeably a lot with leadership. And I, I think that's probably wrong because there are differences Management is about the big, the big skills at an organization where you command and control, mm-hmm. and and use those type of skills to achieve an organizational uh, initiative and a goal that's been set. But leadership is almost like taking a, a personal accountability for your own skill set to create a vision and 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 drive that organization toward that. And you do this if it's in the family setting. Let's let's look at it in there. If you're leading your family. You're taking care of your children. You're making sure they have what they need. You're making sure you and your husband or wife or partner, you have a roof over your heads, that everybody has a safe place to live and learn. And it's all about the relationship, and that's important. So moving on towards towards leadership and having it uh, be such a large part of your everyday life, what do you want uh, our audience to know about your everyday life? Uh. I think the number one thing I'd like everyone to realize is you can learn this. I, I think everybody is out there now, particularly in this economic environment where the market is a little tough, that we, uh, we're being asked to do more. And everybody is working hard. And they're achieving some kind of goal. 
whether it's a, a job-related goal or a, a financial goal or some some dream that they're trying to chase, you really have to concentrate on the relationships and the quality of the relationships and how you treat them in every one of those places. Uh, here's an example. Uh, if, I, if I mention to you, how do you handle your commitments? How do you answer that? Well, I suppose that you'd have to uh, categorize them by priority and then time management. Sure, it's time management. You start thinking about things like uh, a checklist, a task list, some one of 100, you know, 200 apps you can have that you can track the things you have to do today, your to-do list today, or how you use Outlook to manage your life and whether you ever have the opportunity to lift your head out of Outlook, you know, at all during the day. <laughs> so it's, it, it's that. But actually, the commitments are are one of the more, now I'll use the word sacred, I don't use that too flippantly, that's important because when you tell somebody you're going to do something, you really need to manage that promise of that commitment. And if somebody on the job, your boss comes to you and says, hey, will you take care of this report for me? You could go, yeah, I got it. And if you do that, then it virtually goes unnoticed perhaps, and maybe it's appreciated or acknowledged. But if you don't do that, somebody comes back to you and goes, hey, where's that report? And then you, there, there are issues to deal with there. Uh, so when you talk about a commitment, you need to talk about, yes, I'll do this for you. But the other part is you need to say when. So if you came to me and said, hey, Bob, I need you to write this for me. And I'll go, yeah, I'll be glad to do that. The next question out of my mouth has got to be, when do you need it? And you go, I, I don't need it till the 1st of December. And I can go, well, that's good. I'll have it to you by the 1st of December. Now, if I don't say that, you're, you're in mid-December and you don't have it yet. And you're going, I, that guy is just not worth you know, the dirt he walks on. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that question of when becomes a big part of commitment. Now, I've blown this tiny little concept of your to-do list up to a big size here. But that's important. I Just can't that, get anything done without a to-do list. Yeah, sure. And, <laughs> and and when you say that, think all right. Let's let's make it even more emotional now. Let's say you have a you have children, and your son or daughter come to you and says says, "Can you take me to? Uh, oh, will you come to my school play?" And you go, "Yes, I'll come to your school play." You haven't even asked when it is yet. You, you haven't even asked that. And if something on the job at the office, so to speak, I say that in quotes, keeps you from coming, how, how are you going to deal with that? How are you going to deal with that? And we all, you know, there are people listening right now that are going, oh, well, I would just tell the, the boss that I've got to go. I've got to, you know, commit with my family. I've got a school event today. Right. And, but they could easily go, no, you have the big meeting today. Right. And so how are you going to manage that commitment for the big meeting with your boss and uh, for the school play with your with your child. That gets painful then. Well, and I suppose when you, uh, you know, break it down and you have to make those, those big decisions, you know, that's where either the leader comes out or, you know, you're going to, you're going to choose, well, I'm going to do both or I'm going to do one. So, and there's not really the option to do neither. There's not the option to, not show up or not do your job. 
Yeah, here's the crux of the show right here. I hope just by raising this issue of commitments, I have people kind of leaning back and their heads are tilted and they're scratching their head going, yeah, this happens a lot. I guess I could do this better. And there are more pieces to that. We'll have the discussion about this as we move forward. There are more pieces to that, such as I I can't keep the commitment that I have. What am I going to do? And uh, how do I confirm that I've done what I've said? That it's actually the third part. The first part we said is we said we're going to do it. The second part is we have to say when we're going to do it. The third part is how do I tell you that it's done? Yeah, I'll do that report for you. I'll get it done by the 15th, and I'll send you an email when it's done so you can go find it on the server and take a look at it. And that that's it. And, you know, if – if somebody think about uh, think about somebody you might hire to work on your house, somebody that's an electrician or a plumber, and you call them and it's not an emergency, you know, water's not gushing anywhere and your lights aren't off and you're in the dark, but you need some work done, and they'll go, yeah, I can do that work for you. Uh, it'll be sometime next week, and you go, uh, okay, and then next week comes and and you don't hear from them and you would really like to get whatever the work is done. And so what do you do? You go somewhere else, you call someone else and probably have a similar conversation. What if that person said, well, you know, I'm really booked in advance. I could get to you on Wednesday next week. How does that sound? And you go, great. What time of day do I need to take time off from work? And they go, well, I can be there at five o'clock. So you don't have to take time off work. Well, that's great. And what if on Tuesday they called and said, I still have you on the schedule for tomorrow at, at five. Is that okay? And you go, great. And they come and they do the work. How would you feel about calling that person again? You probably use them again. Right. But if that person just doesn't show up after you've taken a day off or, you know, arranged your schedule, then what, what would you use them again? I, I'm sorry. I didn't get here yesterday. I had a job that ran long and, and I have something going on tomorrow, Thursday, so I'll try to get you in on Friday. Well, now your hackles are coming up, and you know if you have options to find somebody else to do it, depending on how urgent it is, you're going to go to them. Right. So from the other perspective, that person that would like to do the job for you and be paid for that, and you know achieve his own job goals and make revenue and make a living, they're not going to get the opportunity to work with you because they didn't handle that commitment as well as they could. So this one, this one tiny concept of commitment management we've talked about here for a few minutes ends up being a big deal in our business lives, in our personal lives, for everyone. And, you know, if, if folks, you know, the, all the electricians, the plumbers, all the people in the service industry treated each commitment as sacred, I think, I think the quality of life and performance goes up for everyone. I agree. I think that that the the time management on both ends is is fairly important. I mean, you know, you're not going to uh, you know do things on someone else's time frame if you want to get things done. Yeah, I think you all you want to you want to have that kind of conversation that proves that uh, that that treats everyone as they would want to be treated, like they were your best friend, even though they're a stranger on the street that just needed a little bit of electrical work being done. Right. Now, have you had any influences in your life, um, maybe some great leaders that you've worked with that have kind of taught you those skills? You know, I... Or taught the, you the mind frame, really. Yeah. I uh, One of the best bosses I ever had when I was still in the real corporate world 
was a guy I worked with. Uh, I'm not going to name names here, but I think that's probably not appropriate. Although if he's probably listening, he'll probably know who he is. Uh, that hired me into a position that was brand new. I was in banking at the time, and there were changes in banking regulations that created new needs within banks and financial institutions. And I talked to him about this job, and just the fact that it was brand new gave him an opportunity to interview me. And I, I kind of made the point that I knew what the issues were, and I could get the job done. And he just said, go do it. And, you know, the, the trust there he had in me to get started and find out what the issues were and deliver was really important. You know, I, I just couldn't believe I could get treated that well in a new position. I wasn't getting micromanaged. You know, it was a, it was a, it was a mid-level position, you know, to jump in there. And it was, it was a good thing. And then as we moved forward, he said, Hey, you know, you may have an opportunity to do this. And he didn't say, get this done by Friday. There's commitment management again. He just said, what do you think about this? Could we add this on? Would this make it better? And we did that for several years. And knowing the tone, the tone of our relationship and the importance he placed on it in dealing with me, I immediately carried that through the rest of my career. And I I think I treated other people as well as I did going forward just on the basis of that experience that I had with him. So would you call that sort of working with him? Was it more of a collaborative experience? No, I definitely was underneath him on the org chart. Right. But when he needed things done, you know, I wasn't having to give him a status report. I did kind of have to do that. I was talking to him in terms of, here's what I can do. Is this appropriate? And that's, that's one thing commitment management lets you do. If you say, I can do that for you, and you do it and deliver – and then you go, hey, I can do that for you. And you do it and deliver again. All of a sudden, you're like a little engine that's spun up because people aren't even coming to you and go, I need you to do this. You're making offers. You're going, hey, I can add value to you in this situation. So think about that. Listen, you know, let's add this in, into the entrepreneurial world now. Entrepreneurs say, hey, I, I can add value to you in your situation where you're trying to start a business here. And then if they do that and perform, you'll go back to them again. And you commit and perform again and again. And now a relationship is started. One that's got a little, you know, a little thread of trust through it as well. I feel like trust might be the the biggest part of, of leadership as well, because you know, they've got a everyone has to kind of trust you that you're taking them in the right direction. Trust is a huge part of it. You know, we'll start talking as well as how leadership has changed from the, you know, even before the Mad Men days, the 40s and the 50s and the and the oldest of old school measures of how we look at leadership to now when I say it's all about the relationship. and But through all of those, that, that instance of trust, you know, just everybody listening now, think about somebody you've worked for that you couldn't trust. Just how pleasant was that? Not very, I guess. So working with others, do you think that um, having the the leadership roles or even moving towards a leadership role, um, do you think that that is uh, something that, you know, do you need that commanding presence for? Or do you think that, you, you know, you could have different personality types in these in these leadership roles. I mean, when I think of a leader, I think of someone that's very gung ho and, um, you know, holds themselves with, 
you know, such a, a composure, really. So do you think that, that that commanding presence, you know, the, the gung-ho personality is um, something that you'll find in every leader? Or do you think that every leader has a different, a different style or a different presence um, in their unique business? Every leader does indeed have a different style. It does, a leader does not have to be gung-ho, although they do have to have a vision somewhat that they can share with you. And when they do that, you decide you want to be a part of it. And that person doesn't have to be the full-blown charismatic leader that we read about, usually out of history and out of politics, uh, if not in business. But it does have to be somebody that you go, yeah, I can get on board with that. I trust that person. I'm sure our, our listeners are dying to know what your leadership style is. I, <laughs> I am a, I'm a person that is, uh, that is very approachable. In fact, one of the biggest compliments I've gotten throughout my career is just within the last few years, somebody came to me and said, you, you can get this done because you're one of the most approachable people I've ever known. And I just said, well, thank you very much. That's very generous. So, in fact, this show was almost called uh, The Approachable Leader. Oh, that's a good one, too. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I branded differently and talked about uh, Labrador leadership. And, you know, I, might, I should explain that as well. Labrador yeah. leadership, you know, somebody said, is this show about your dog? <laughs> and, no, it's not about the dog. And, you know, Labrador, it's not about trying to take over Newfoundland either. Uh, Labrador, you know, I did have a Labrador when I was in a, in high school and, uh, he, he was you know, the best dog I ever had. And when I see other labs down, I, you know, you see the big dog show, the Westminster dog show in February, it's on TV. And, you know, the Labrador is the number one breed of dog in America, the favorite, it's the best family dog. But here's the thing I notice when I think about Labradors, they are so strong. Their speed, they run, how, look at their paws, how they swim in the water, how fast they are running on land. And, you know, because they're great family dogs, they're intensely loyal. They're very loyal. I know mine was mm -hmm. to me and my brother and sister and, you know, the entire family. So strength and loyalty. And the metaphor for me was that strength and that loyalty creates kind of a sense of power not power in the traditional sense, but power because you are you are so strong and, and so loyal that it generates a kind of of trust that you'll always be there. Now, jumping straight from a dog to a leader, that's you know, that's a bit of a leap, but those those traits are are that important. They are a desirable uh companion, you know? Yeah. Not it's not a bad place to to be compared to a Labrador retriever. So uh of course, I have a, do I have a Labrador now? Well, no, I have a little Silky Terrier now, but I think if I called the show Silky Leadership, it would sound a little misleading at least, so I didn't do that. We're this. going a different route. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, think, I think we're about ready to wrap here. Uh, you know, I just want to tell folks, I, I really appreciate you finding us and listening to us here. Uh, to, to keep the show alive, uh, if you can, Find us on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, wherever you found us. Please give us a, a rating and review there. Please, if you can give us a five-star rating, great, because the more you do that, the easier it is for iTunes to keep it in front of other leaders and people that need to hear what we've got to say. All right. Well, it was a great show. 
Oh, it was great because you were here. Thank you <laughs> very much. Yeah, uh, and uh, we'll see everybody next time. All right. Talk to you all soon. Thanks for listening to the Labrador Leadership Podcast. For the sake of all the special people in your life that deserve you to be the best leader you can be. Connect with us on our website at labradorleadership.com, on Facebook at Labrador Leadership, and on Twitter at Lab Leadership. Now, here's a final thought from Bob. Folks, we'll go back and talk more about commitment management and lots of other good stuff. But today, today, the one message I want to get to you is just to say thanks. Thank you very much for finding us. Thanks for listening to us. And if you liked it, please come back and listen to the next episode and go to iTunes and hit that subscribe button so you can stay in touch with us. Everybody have a great week. So long now.